start off a message with something, you know, kind of humorous just to, just because that's what I do. But today is not so humorous because something sad happened to me this week. And that is that my mentor of the last couple of years, who I've been really close to, uh, he moved away. And uh, his name is Steve Morehouse. And some of you know Steve. Steve was the first pastor of Obi Joyful Church from something around 78 forward until Jim took over from him, basically. And then I from Jim. And uh, Steve has been, for those of you who know him, you know what I mean, but he's spent regular time with me for two years just listening. I mean, no offense to any junior high girls or women in any way, but I, I'm like a junior high girl with him. I'm like, you know, telling him stuff and just won't stop talking. And he, his eyes don't roll back in his head. He just pays attention and guides me and gives me accountability, encourages me. And really, I have not felt sadness like that uh, very often. I don't like to be sad, and I was, I'm sad about it. Um, but he moved to be with his children in Omaha, Nebraska, which he's going to love, and uh, hard to leave here for that, but for his family, and so we're excited. But, you know, here's what's really cool. Steve was the pastor here for a long time, and I was able to be mentored by him. He knows all about the culture, the resort town, this church, the start of this church before this building, everything else. And then I also have the incredible influence and friendship of my friend Jim Coons, who was a pastor before me, pouring in. So I don't know where you have three generations of pastors, you know, caring, loving each other, but it's pretty awesome. So as sad as that is, I'll still be in touch with them. It's a really good thing, just for those of you who don't know some of the history, but man, if you've ever been at a church where there's been transition in pastors, it's a lot of times pretty difficult for the original or the former to be around, but we have two, you know, and we share and work together. It's really incredible. So just a little note. Uh, so that's not funny, but anyway, we're going to move into the message now, regardless of the, the come on, y'all, lighten up. I mean, <laughs> There are people that come into our lives that have an impact on us. When we're with them, when we're around them, they rub up against us and things change. And all of us probably are thinking of somebody like that right now. Uh, there are people who just engage us in a way that makes us move. Sometimes they say things that nobody else will say. Other times they just live and lead by example. But they, they sharpen us and they move us forward. And the stories that we're reading in the book of John and that we're moving through are these situations where Jesus pops into people's lives in different ways, sometimes uh, harsh confrontation, sometimes example just or serving or loving or whatever he's doing. And John's sharing these stories with us, and we see the impact of Jesus on a life, and lives are changed. And that's what's happening in the story that we're going to see. This is the last one in the series we're going to stop and pick up again in, in February. But uh, we're at the very end of Jesus' experience before he starts to head to, uh, to the cross, right? And he has been, uh, he's just healed or raised Lazarus from the dead, major miracle, which was a turning point. At this point, he's for sure going to be condemned. So he escapes with the disciples up to another town. So he's out of the reach of the people who might want to hurt him and uh, gets invited back to another event. And that's what we're going to look into this morning. Uh, but here's the thing. When, G when you interact with Jesus, when these people interact with Jesus, it, something always happens to our treasure. Whatever our treasure is, 
Something happens to that treasure when we interact with Jesus. And these people are going to interact with Jesus and we're going to see how, how they deal with their treasure in relationship to him. Now, there are a couple questions that we have to answer before we dive in. And one of them is this. Are you in a place where you're actually encountering Jesus? Because none of this even makes sense. We don't even talk about it if we're not encountering Jesus, if we're not engaging with Jesus somewhere so that he can rub up against that treasure, whatever our treasure is. So where are you engaging, encountering Jesus? Are you, are you taking that time to step back and be with him? Our lives are busy. Even if you're on vacation, there's stuff going on. You got to sleep in a little later. It takes longer to get the coffee, whatever it is. We're doing things, those things expand and and it's hard to expand the time that we spend engaging with Jesus. So that's important for us to do if we're going to actually then let, figure out how he engages with our, uh, then engages with our treasure. And so then we also have to decide what is it that is our treasure? And so I'm not talking about money here. It might be money. Just forget that from the beginning. Treasure is, our treasures are things that we love right? I, uh, we have been created to enjoy things, either the gifts that we have, the, the way God's wired us, even the way we implement the things that we do, the way, the way we live our lives. The things that we enjoy are our treasures. So if you just want to make a list of the things that you enjoy, the things you're pursuing that you think will fill your cup, the things that are filling your cup, the things that you love, you love to do, the way you love to serve, whatever it is, those are treasures, right? What we enjoy. So we need to start thinking as we interact with the word right here about what our treasures are. And two things about that. One is this, treasures a lot of times are good things. They're great things, things we enjoy, like I said. But treasures are also things that we don't want to let go of. And a lot of times the things that we don't want to let go of or we want to have control over are the hardest things in our lives. We have hard stuff going on and man, we want to be in control of the hard stuff. We want to hold on tight and we don't want to, we don't, we don't want to release. But if you can start to name the things that you're trying to hold on to that you are control that are hard for you, those are things that we treasure because we are holding them so tightly. So a couple of aspects of what it means to have a treasure and to think through. So uh, what are your treasures? Well, let's look at the passage. We're in the end of John 11 in the first part of John 12. Jesus, like I said, he's just done this miracle, major miracle, big thing, and it's the tide is turning against him. So in 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they then gathered together a council and they said, what are we going to do? For this man, Jesus performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe him in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand. So he's trying to give them his perspective on the, on the situation. It's better for you that one man should die for, all the, for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And then 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees, all these people had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, if anyone knew where he was, he should 
that person should let them know so that they might arrest him. All right, now we jump into the next thing. Jesus, despite that happening down in Jerusalem, is going to go to Bethany two miles away where he's definitely in the reach of all of this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So there are a wide range of responses around these treasures, which I'll point out to you that we're going to see as Jesus comes in contact with these people. He's going to visit the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're they're siblings. They're going to be together. They're going to meet, have this dinner for him. But we also have the Jewish leaders in these people. We have Judas Iscariot. And so three things that we're going to kind of uh, stop on and talk about. One is this thing where we try to protect and they try to protect their treasure. The second is that we try to pretend or justify the reason that we are, in fact, protecting our treasure. And the third is that we would engage or they engaged their treasure when Jesus came in contact with them and when they were in relationship with him. But... uh Two more things that I, that I want to say just before we jump in. We're going to look at those three things and these different people interacting with Jesus. Y'all, all of us have pieces of each of these that are, get employed in our hearts when we engage with Jesus, okay, around our treasures. So see where you fit. Pull out the pieces. You'll resonate. And there's one in particular that I resonate well with. You'll see where you resonate. See what that is. But all of them will probably apply. And then I think it's important to say, and I don't know where you are spiritually or what your history is in church or background with Jesus or anything, but it, w- it would be really natural for me to think if I was hearing this message uh, that, well, Jesus is just going to come in and, and take away the thing that I enjoy the most. He's, he, that's what, you know, following Jesus is about, giving up all the things that you love, the thing that you love. And that's not what Jesus is about. That's not what knowing God is about. Our treasure begins to align with who Jesus is the longer we know him. Some of y'all, some of you probably uh, like the book The Hobbit and read it when you were in junior high like five times. We're super glad when it came out in the movie. Well, there's one part in there where uh, uh, Bilbo is, uh, you know, he's the hero and he steals this, uh, this diamond and for the nerds of you out there, the Arkenstone, right? Um, we can meet afterwards by the bike racks. <laughs> okay, we can talk. But he, uh, he takes the Arkenstone from Smog the dragon, who's in this uh, humongous cave full of wealth. But there's only one thing that this dragon, who loves wealth, wants. It's just this one thing. And the way that the story actually moves forward, and it's the, really the turning point of the book, is that he that thing is taken from him. And it drives the, the dragon crazy and everything happens from there. You know, uh, I think C.S. Lewis was drawing out a lot of 
the nature, the, the natural way we see our treasures and that we hold on to them so tightly. We choose some and we just can't let them go. But he's not trying to show us. And the point of the passage is not that Jesus is going to come and take away what we treasure. What Jesus does is help us employ and engage the treasures that we do have. And it's a beautiful thing. And I hope you'll see that as this unfolds. So let's look at the, uh, the first group of people. And that's these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who are, who are terrified that Jesus is going to come in. And it said, did you notice, everyone is going to believe in him. Look at uh, 48, 49. It says, well, what are we going to do? For this man performs these signs like raising Lazarus. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. These guys had power. They had a status quo. They didn't want things to change. Jesus, when he came in contact with that treasure, was going to destabilize that. How many of y'all just love change? Okay. Probably not a lot, some less than others. When Jesus comes in contact with us, when we come into relationship with him, when we're in that space with him, one of the treasures that we have is that things would remain the same, be the way we want them to be and and not change. And that's what they're after. In fact, they say, we're going to protect this from from what, Jesus might do to it by, we're actually going to kill him. That's their solution. We will kill him. I think what we do today, and I do, is I protect what that treasure is and put it behind me and say, you know what? No. You can engage with my life in all these different areas, but this one, I want it to turn out this way. I'm going to hold on to that status quo, wherever it is. Uh. The ironic thing about this is that for these leaders who had a lot of power in their own way between the Romans and the Jewish people, uh, 60 years after Jesus died, while some of them were still around, the, uh, the Jews rebelled against the Romans and lost the temple and were completely uh, dispersed. So the Jewish faith as they knew it ended anyway. They could not hold on to it with or without Jesus in the place. They thought they controlled that, but they didn't. Here's the thing that I, I appreciate about these guys. They're honest. They just say, you know what, Jesus? Nope, you're not going there. This is mine to hold on to. You can't have any part of it. You're out. I, I think if I wrestle with that and, and think about it for myself, there are areas in my life where this is exactly how I'm responding to Jesus. Nope, you're not going there. But they're honest about it. So which treasure, how is that treasure that you have, that gift, that love, that that passion, How is it that you are protecting it, keeping it safe, not letting Jesus in that space? So there's that idea of protecting and then pretending. I think another way of saying pretending is that we creatively justify what we treasure, holding on to it. In fact, we creatively justify it so that we can uh, protect it. It's just another way of moving back to that protected uh, sort of space. We're going to skip over Mary, the the siblings, and how they interact with Jesus, uh, Mary and Martha and and Lazarus, and drop down to verse 4. And and this is what, I'm like this. This is how I do it. I justify. Uh, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, and John wants to make sure that we know that he's the one who's going to betray Jesus. John's not super fond of Judas, by the way. Um, You see that several times. 
He says, why was this perfume, this ointment that was worth so much not sold and given to the poor? And, and John later will tell us, you know, Judas didn't care. He was just focused on the money. And we know Judas was focused on money. In his case, that was definitely his treasury. I mean, he sold Jesus out for a certain amount of money. So that, that was his thing. But he couched his concern in some really reasonable things. And this is how I do it. Some of us, uh, when it comes to our treasure and how we engage, uh, we, there are some of us that are process people and think it through and plan. And then there are some that are just emotional. Let's just go for it. How many of you are process people? Don't be shy. It's okay. Emotional, go for it. Let it all hang out. Okay. How many of you are married to one or the other? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hal and Roz. That is the perfect example of very generous people with totally different personalities. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, there is a beautiful thing in what he, he says, the very practical process. He says, you know what? This girl is crazy. She just broke open that incredibly expensive, like for a normal person, it was a year's wage. This is a very expensive uh, bottle of perfume, basically. And she's just pouring it out on Jesus. And he's like, you, what? You can't, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. Don't do that. And, uh, so most of us on my side, the practical side, the think it through, the wait forever before you do anything kind of person will then uh, say, yes, Judas, you're right. That, that's, that's not a good idea. So he starts to couch that there. But those of us who are believers in here, you know what we know is that there is nothing, there is nothing that is too extravagant for Jesus. I mean, that's the principle Judas is, I'm, I totally identify with him, but I'm often left field with him because it is always good to be extravagant when it comes to the Savior, right? But he's missed that and he's kind of, what he's done is what I do, is he's just moved it over and he's couched it in this. That's impractical. And not only is it impractical, but we could have used it for the poor, right? So he's, then he's added that layer to it. Like there's something, you know, magnanimous and good and benevolent that we're going to do with this resource, well, uh, that is uh, somehow saying, you know, he's saying generosity is better, right, than, than doing this thing. Well, Jesus, uh, he comes to her defense, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we, we, have to, we have to be honest. This is the thing that I see that's different for, with Judas and the, the Jewish leaders. They were straightforward and transparent. They said, we're keeping this for ourselves. This is what we want. Judas uses this other little technique where he says, I'm going to justify and use these great reasons and things that make sense in order to protect what I treasure. So there's the idea of protecting and then pretending. But then I love, I, I just have loved looking at this family, this, these siblings, in the way that they engage their treasure around Jesus. When they come in contact with, they have opportunity to be with Jesus and they engage their treasure. So uh, look back with me. I just want to read the passage with you. And now that you're thinking in these terms, I think this will make, these things will jump out to you a bit. Uh, Starting in verse two, it says, so they gave a dinner for him there in Bethany. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Martha, I mean, Mary, therefore took a pound of this expensive ointment made from pure nard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was full 
of the fragrance of the perfume. So you got to picture the situation. This is a really small town and everybody knows what you're doing in a small town. If you live in Crested Butte, don't even bother to hide anything. Everybody's going to know what's going on, right? It's just true. You can't hide it. Now, in our, we, in our town, we have windows that we can shut. We don't have to, you know, talk. Like, well, in those, in those days, in that place, when something happened in a small town, everybody knew about it. When somebody came into town, everybody knew about it. They didn't have glass. They could hear. They could overhear. There was always somebody who was starting up the rumor mill, right? So they knew when they had Jesus in their home that they were going against everything that the Jewish people, the common Jewish people believed in because their leaders had said, if you um, interact with Jesus, then you are purposefully hurting our nation, right? They were being rebels. They were basically sacrificing or offering up the treasure of their security and their reputation so that Jesus could be in their home. So a lot of us, we have a treasure of security and we have a treasure of reputation. That's the first thing that they offer up. We're going to have a party for Jesus. We're going to have a dinner party and we're going to invite a lot of people. It's not going to be a question of whether it's Jesus in our house or not. That's a bold move. And when they did that, they were rubbing up against Jesus and making a choice about how they were going to engage their treasures. But they, not only do they engage those sort of uh, uh, emotional and things, the, the, the reputation and that, but they engage their home. You know, the beginning of the church was in a home, right? They met in homes, they had dinner together, and then when that got too big, they'd have another home and another home, and they'd spread out. And I, I don't doubt if that's how it happens in Peru. They don't have, go build a building like we do here. They start in a church, I mean, it start in a house, and have food together. And so what, what they've done is they've offered the treasure of their home. Some of us, our home or our homes are our treasures. And they're using that home in order to introduce people to Jesus. And what is so cool is it just like they did, all they did was have dinner and have some people over and have Jesus with them. That's the exact same thing that all of us can do today. There's, you know, there's no like new formula. Come on over. And let's do this and, and we'll have dinner together and, and we can invite Jesus into that and share and talk and get to know him. So they, they engage the treasure of their home. They engage their safety and their reputation. And you noticed, uh, those of you who are servants or hospitality people, how many of you are the servant? This is your gift. Hosp- Come on, there's more than, you're so meek that you don't want to, I know you're out there. Did you notice it says, um, so they gave a dinner from there, and you guys probably heard this, and Martha served, right? That was her job. That's what she did. She made it happen. Without her, the party and the dinner wasn't going to happen. And we can see that because we see what her siblings were doing too. But she had, she had this gift of hospitality. Obviously, we see it in other places in the New Testament too. And she was engaging that with Jesus, So she has this treasure, this thing that she can offer, which is serving, and that's exactly what she does. She engages her gift, her treasure, the things she loves, the things that fills her up, the thing that fills her up and uses it for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. You can see how different all these reactions are to Jesus and the treasures that are uh, uh, coming out and and a part of it. But it's funny, right after that, um, it says, uh, 
She did that. And then it says, Lazarus laid down at the table. You know, so I don't know if his spiritual gift was reclining. Um, Some of us guys have that gift. You know, the party's going on, the dishes are being done. We're like, yeah, I have, I should be sitting down here and talking. Um, But here's the thing. Even if, if his spiritual gift isn't chilling out with Jesus, we need to see that response to Jesus and just sit beside him. Just spend time with him. If we never spend time with him, he's never going to engage with our, uh, with our treasure because we're always going to pr- absolutely protect it. So Lazarus was in this point, obviously in life, he just wanted to enjoy being around Jesus. And so I think going back to the, one of the first things I said, where is it that you're engaging with him so that he can actually have an impact on your treasure? So take some time and recline with Jesus. But what's funny, that if, if it's not funny that, that uh, Lazarus is just chilling out where Mar- Martha's doing all the work, the, the progression in uh, John's mind makes sense. He says, Martha was doing this, Lazarus was doing this, therefore Mary goes nuts, right? She breaks out the thing and she starts pouring this, in, pouring this stuff on Jesus and, and it says uh, that, he, that uh, in Mark, Mark has a, a slightly different translation of this or telling of the story. He says, she puts it on his head, puts, and then John says, he puts it on his, she puts this on his feet and she, uh, she's giving her very best. While all these other things are going on, when she's around Jesus, she offers the very best treasure she probably has and, and just gives it away. Just is absolutely generous with Jesus with that one thing. And I don't know if you notice, if you read the notes or have read through a little bit of the Bible before, this is the second time Mary's done this. She's, she's actually put perfume on him before, but she did it at this Pharisee's house and she's behind him and his feet are behind him and she, and she um, anoints his feet and she wipes them with her hair. You guys remember that story? And she is in a much harder time of life. In fact, it calls her like a woman of ill repute, right? She's had a rough life. Well, now she's, she's starting a tradition of offering her best to Jesus. She's doing the same thing again, right? So she's obviously close to his feet if she's wiping his feet with her hair, right? So she's finding this posture that she interacts with Jesus around and she's doing it time after time. And in that space, she's being... Uh, absolutely generous with the Savior. And I wonder if there's not something instructive in that for us. And for those of you who like process and regular things and how things work and things should be a certain way, perhaps there's something in the tradition that she is engaging in that encourages us around how we, uh, what we do with our treasures with Jesus. But in both of those situations with the Pharisees and now again, right here, with uh, this, this last meal she's going to have with Jesus in this setting. Um, everybody judges her, and it's really apparent. The Pharisees judge her, and Jesus defends her. And in this case, the disciples, and Judas in particular, judge her. They say, you can't waste your, you can't, that's ridiculous. You can't waste on him like that. She gets judged for her extravagance. But she seems to be willing to be called out 
for using her treasure in a beautiful way for Jesus. I think, it's, I think that's awesome. She's, she's not embarrassed. And even if it hurt, she still did it. I think for us as people, if you are a follower of Jesus in here, in that family, there are all of those different reactions that would be great ways for us to engage our treasure with him. But we also have those other pieces, the Judas piece and the Pharisee piece, the protection and the justification of pretending. Well, let me wrap it up with, uh, with this thought. Just coming from, just going back to the beginning of the passage, you guys probably noticed this. I read uh, what the high priest said about Jesus and about how they should solve their problem. In verse 49, it says, but one of them, the chief priest, Caiaphas, who was the high priest of that year, said, you don't know anything. You do not, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas thinks that he's protecting the Jewish people from, from the Messiah, right? From Jesus. But in fact, all he is doing is stating what Jesus came to do from the very beginning. And that is why, that is why I'm so encouraged to, to engage with him and be transparent about my treasures, whatever they are. Because he is willingly at this point being condemned for me. He is the lamb going to the cross on purpose for me, for you, for these people. And Caiaphas just wants to protect the Jewish people. But this is the turning point where Jesus utterly opens the door to all people, to all nations, through faith alone. And through faith alone, they can come to know the one true God and be united with him. Because he is the lamb, he's worthy of engaging our treasure. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we, just, we come to you and I'm just amazed that Jesus is walking through all of this, having these personal reactions and interactions with people, uh, but at the same time focused on the these important thing that he is going to do uh, for you to bring glory to you, and that is to make it possible for us to know you, to be reconciled. And we thank you. And God, uh, may we find time to, like Lazarus, rest with Jesus spend time, recline at the table with him and, uh, and engage our treasure with him. Amen. All right, you guys have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you later.